Well, good to welcome everybody. Thanks for coming, whether that is in person, maybe in person in the live auditorium. Welcome to you, or in classic, welcome to you on the Moon Campus and watching online, wherever you're taking this in. We're glad that, uh, again, Pathway can be one church in many, many, many different locations and that we have technology that allows us to uh, share in this together as one. And so welcome to all of you. I wonder if there are ever circumstances that arrive in your life where you realize that you're not at all equipped for the circumstance that you're in. Maybe when you were in school, maybe it was a test that you should have studied more for than what you did, or maybe it was a presentation you needed to give at work. I was reflecting on one of those sorts of circumstances that Carolyn and I actually were in, um, a number of years ago now, it was actually right the year after we did our very first Give Joy to the World project. We did that in Ethiopia, and the, later that year, Carolyn and I had the opportunity to travel to Ethiopia to visit those wells and to see what was going on and to meet with the people who had benefited and to hear their uh, appreciation of who Pathway is and what Pathway was doing there. So that was a plan, but it came together very quickly. It was kind of a last-minute trip. And because of that, we didn't have all of the logistical details that we normally would have if we're going to be traveling international. I mean, you go through a lot of logistics to, to do. We didn't have those, but we were told it's okay because as soon as you get to the airport, there will be one of our reps from our ministry. They'll meet you there and then they can get you to the driver and all of you together are then going to go on and see the wells. And so that sounded okay to us. And so we planned to go. And uh, we were on our way. The problem was, the night before we actually got to Addis Ababa, we got word that there was a death in the family of that ministry representative so that he wasn't going to be there anymore. We were still going. We were on our way. But uh, he wasn't going to show up. And so that kind of leaves us maybe in a little bit of a pickle, but we still went and we figured, well, we'll be able to figure it out somehow. So there we are. We arrive in Addis Ababa and uh, recognizing that we, we don't speak the language. We don't know who the driver is. We don't have the driver's name because the rep was going to hook that up. The driver doesn't know who we are because the rep was going to be looking, or the driver was going to be looking for the rep. So now we're supposed to try to find the driver without knowing the language and without having any idea what his name is and he doesn't know us. What could possibly go wrong, right? And so, so we come out of the airport and we're kind of looking around. There are drivers all over the place. We're trying to figure out who this is. Well, apparently at the last moment, this guy, this driver, got word that the rep wasn't going to be there and so was told that what you need to do is you just need to look for people who look like Americans. And that's how he was supposed to find it. Well, apparently we must have looked the part because it wasn't too long. Some guy comes over, kind of a shady looking guy, and he says, you come with me. Very broken English, didn't speak really English. You come with me. And I'm like, you crazy. I'm not going anywhere with you. And, uh, and, but there were some interpreters who were not far away, or some people who knew both English, um, and so they stepped in and realized we were having an issue, and, and through that, we pretty much came to the conclusion, well, well, this must be the driver, 
this must be the guy that we're supposed to meet up with. We weren't 100% sure, but uh, we thought, well, this is our, our best shot at it. So we get in his van, and it's just a van, and we get in his van to take this 1,000-kilometer journey to the southern end of Ethiopia to try to see these wells and and all the rest we didn't know him we couldn't communicate on the trip we didn't we didn't know where we were going and we didn't know if he knew where he was going and it turned out that he didn't because we got lost trying to get there and it turns out it's actually very difficult to get directions if you don't know where you're going if you don't know what your destination is and so that's kind of the setup that we were in and this is about the time that carolyn and i were wondering how our lives would be remembered at pathway and, and if the girls knew where our wills were. You know, we started wondering some of those things. It was very painfully obvious to me that we were not equipped with what we needed for the circumstance that we found ourselves in. And the fact is that that isn't the only circumstance in life where that happens. And I'm guessing that you could probably come up and you could tell your own story of getting in some sort of situation where you felt similarly to what we were experiencing there. I'm convinced that it was only the grace of God that got us to the place that we were going. Once we got close enough, we found actually a local who knew something about the wells, and so they were able to take us around. And, and it was an unusual trip, but we were able to do everything that we wanted to do. And again, they were so grateful for the people of Pathway and uh, what you have been about pulling off in those areas. And thinking of it in terms of the grace of God seems to be a very appropriate way to do so because today we're going to see another setting where we find someone in a situation where they really weren't fully equipped for what they needed either, but the grace of God stepped in and they end up being cared for. They end up being equipped. And today we're going to think about what it looks like to be equipped or to get equipped in some circumstances where otherwise we might be left to ourselves and left in a situation where things are not going to work out very well. And the place that we see this is in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We are in this sermon series, Strength and Weakness, Part 2. We, there are only 13 chapters in the whole letter, and we're in chapter 12, and so we're wrapping this up pretty quickly. A couple more weeks, and we are going to be done. But if you want to go ahead and turn there, maybe grab the outline you can use as well. This has to do, this passage has to do with the Apostle Paul, and it involves one of the best-known circumstances of his life. And what we find is he too is in a problem. He's having some, some, a situation where he doesn't have all the answers to the questions on his mind, or all the solutions for the problems that are present in his life. And I'm guessing that that probably sounds a little bit familiar to you, because all of us face situations and circumstances where we don't have all of the answers for the situations that come up, and we aren't fully equipped for everything that we walk into. But this is going to be an encouraging thing for us, I pray, because what we're going to see here is a move toward being equipped. There are any of a number of areas where we might feel um, coming up short in that regard. It might be maybe at work. You might be in a situation where you need some wisdom because of a situation that has arisen or relationships that exist between you and someone else or that don't exist. Maybe there's some sort of intervention that has to happen and, and you're not exactly sure how you can affect that. What am I supposed to do? Or it might be that it has to do with a relationship that you're in, maybe with a friend or maybe with your spouse, maybe with a child or maybe with your parent, that there are strife and there are problems and there are stresses going on and you've tried but you're not 
getting much traction in terms of overcoming the situation that you find yourself in. Or maybe it has to do with some some other circumstance where you're, you're wanting to step out, you're wanting to maybe launch into some business venture or, or launch a ministry, or you want to maybe just engage with the person who's across the street, but you're not sure that you're equipped to know even what to say or how to progress or, or what if something comes up, how am I going to handle that? And oftentimes what that does for us is it causes us to kind of back up and kind of sit still or just simply throw in the towel on moving forward or addressing the situation because we don't know what we ought to do. Well, if there was something that could tell us and inform us that this is what we should do, this is something that you can take and apply into the situation that is going to provide for you the things that you need, would you be interested in knowing about that? I'd most definitely be interested in knowing about that. And I believe that you would also, and that's the good news today, because we're going to see a circumstance where there's tremendous need and we're going to see how it is provided for. We're going to see one who is not equipped all of a sudden become equipped and what the different features and facets of this sort of being equipped looks like. So that's what we're going to be talking about, is how do we find that sort of equipment as it as it were all right now the circumstances in this particular passage are drawn out of the life and the experience of the apostle paul but it's not limited to him the principles that we see are universal these principles apply to us just as they do to him so we're going to take a look at his situation his life the way he processed it and see what we might be able to glean for our own situation as well we're going to take a look at what it means to be equipped so one facet the first facet of being equipped that we find here is that it comes, in this situation, through personal encounter. Through personal encounter, there for your outline. Now, the personal encounter this passage begins with is quite spectacular, to say the least. I want to show this to you. Here's how it starts. Chapter 12 and verse 1, 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, I must go on boasting, although there is nothing to be gained. I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. All right, what's going on? Over the last couple of chapters, we've been seeing that Paul has this sort of wrestling match going on with boasting. He doesn't like to boast. He knows that uh, that's something that he would rather not do. He doesn't want to talk about himself. He wants to talk about Christ. But the situation is such that people are being led astray in the church because false teachers have come in, and Paul isn't willing for that to happen. And so if he needs to speak up at something that leaves him in a position of uncomfortableness, he's willing to do that for the sake of those who are being led astray and for the sake of Christ. No one is boasting. Do we find him sort of lifting himself up so we don't have to criticize him for this boasting, quote-unquote, because he's not doing it to lift himself up or to tear other people down. He's doing it for the benefit of others and for the benefit of Christ. And in this particular situation, we find him saying, I'm going to go on to visions and revelations. What's happening is these false teachers have come on the scene, and they're claiming to have a special message from God. They don't have a special message from God. They have a special message from themselves, a self-serving message from self. And so Paul's like, all right, fine. If I need to speak up about visions and revelations to prove that theirs are wrong, let me tell you something that I've been kind of keeping to myself. And very interestingly, he comes out with something that he's been not hiding, but that he hasn't shared for 14 years. Look at this. Verse 2. This is fascinating. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know, God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise 
and heard inexpressible things, things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Now, This is an extraordinary experience that Paul is describing, and it leaves us, I think, at least with a few questions. As I read that, as we followed along, weren't there a few things that were like, oh, what about that? Oh, I'm not sure I understand. All right, so what's what's going on here? First of all, one of the questions that probably pops into your mind is, well, who's this guy? Who's this guy you're talking about who's been caught up to the third heaven and what's going on with, with that? Now, one of your first inclinations might be to think, well, this must be John. Because we know that John was caught up into heaven. We know that he was given a look, and that's basically the, the basis, the foundation of the book of Revelation that we find at the end of the New Testament. That would be an excellent guess, but you'd be wrong because this isn't John that he's talking about. The person he's talking about, this guy he's referring to, it's himself. Paul's talking about himself here in this passage, and eventually he, he gives it up and he admits it. He doesn't at the, st- at the start, but he, he does eventually when he talks about, in verse 7, he acknowledges that he's the guy who has these surpassingly great revelations. So he eventually tips his hand there, so we know. So the question, though, comes up, why in the world are you talking in the third person? Why are you talking about this guy that you know? It would be kind of like me saying, I know a guy who's a pastor of Pathway Church, and and he's teaching presently through 2 Corinthians. If I kept talking like that for a while, you'd start to look for somebody else to be the pastor of the church, right? It's just kind of weird. It's kind of different. So why does he do that? Well, there's some people who've thrown out some some pretty complicated, you know, rationale as to why that might be. I don't think we need to get complicated. I think we can kind of go to what is probably the simplest explanation of this at all. Remember, Paul's this guy. He's not wanting to boast. He's not wanting to put the spotlight on himself. And in order, I mean, if he came along and said, yeah, okay, yep, God took me to heaven, gave me visions, revelations, yep, I'm that guy. He doesn't want that sort of spotlight. And by saying, I know this guy, who this happened to, he's just able to kind of deflect that for a time. And using the third person allows him to kind of take that spotlight off of what he's uncomfortable in in probably sharing. So another piece that might have grabbed your attention is this idea that he's caught up to the third heaven. That sounds very confusing. And so the question actually comes to us, well, how many heavens are there? (coughs) I mean, are there some other heavens that we haven't been told? Or are there multiple heavens that God has? And so he kind of puts some people in this heaven and some in this one and and some in that one over there. That'd be kind of a bummer. I mean, wouldn't it be a bummer to to get to heaven after all these years, kind of wondering what was happening in the Bible, and you find out that you're not in the heaven with Abraham and not in the heaven with Joseph or with David or with Moses or with Peter. You're in the heaven with like John Western or something. I mean... Is this what you would want, right? No, it's not that there are multiple heavens, but there are multiple realms. And sometimes in the ancient world would talk about the heavens like this. We refer to the heavens in ways that talk about aspects of what is above and beyond, 
that isn't necessarily the heaven or the paradise that we think about. So we use the heavens in that way. We might think of it um, as the ancients did in, as we look up toward the heavens that the first realm of heaven is sort of what is immediately around us, like our atmosphere, or where the clouds are, or the rain. And, and this is one level of the heavens as we consider them. And then as you look further, there's another realm in the heavens, which is what we refer to as outer space. So you've got the sun and the moon and the planets. It's not unusual at all to, to imagine somebody saying, well, I looked up into the heavens and saw the stars. We talk about it that way also. So that's the second realm of heaven. And then the third realm of heaven, or the third heaven that Paul is talking about here, is what we would think of as being the place where God dwells or paradise. So it's not that there are multiple different heavens like we tend to think about it when we think of where's God, but rather that's the way that they would consider it. So that's, that's all he's talking about when he gets to this third heaven. It's not, that, it's not that mysterious. And what Paul sees and experiences there while he's getting this vision is pretty incredible. In fact, so incredible that he says it's, it's inexpressible. And he doesn't express it. This is something that Paul keeps to himself for 14 years. As far as we know, he never said it to anybody. It's inexpressible. That's okay, though. It's not that he's keeping some big secret. It's that it was a personal encounter. It was something that was given to him for him. There wasn't any responsibility that he had to go and share it for the benefit of somebody else. Now, if you take and you sort of put this timeline together and you think, all right, well, Paul's writing this. What was going on 14 years before Paul wrote it to try to figure out, well, what's going on with Paul when he was taken up into heaven? Which is a good question to ask. And if you subtract those 14 years, you get right to about the point in time where he's about to go off on the first of his three missionary journeys. And so Paul, on those journeys, was going to experience a great deal of hardship and pain and problem and opposition and oppression and shipwrecks and beatings. It was going to be very, very difficult. And so you just get this sense that God is preparing him for what he's going to be going through so that when he faces that, that he's able to look back on, this is what God revealed to me, this is what I've seen, this is paradise to encourage him and to strengthen him to the task that was in front of him. It's provided for him for his own benefit. Now, I've never been caught up into heaven. You've probably not been caught up into heaven, but that doesn't mean that we're without our own personal experiences that can encourage us when circumstances get difficult. We have them also. Just the, the fact that you have any interest in pursuing God at all is evidence of a miracle being worked out in your life. That is the touch of God on you because left to yourself, you would have no interest in pursuing Christ. You would have interest in pursuing your own interests. The fact that you have been transformed in your spirit, that you have become a new creation in Christ if you've put your trust and your hope in Jesus, if you receive Jesus as, as Lord and Savior, is evidence of the fact that there's a miracle that has been done in you, which is just as dynamic a miracle as being taken up into heaven. This is heaven being brought down to you. 
because it's also a transition that has happened. You can probably also point to other things in your own individual life, something that is more unique to just you. I've got something like that in my call to ministry. You've probably got things, maybe it relates to health, maybe it relates to family. Who knows what it might relate to, but some areas where you've been like, I know that God exists, and here's how I know. Here's what I've experienced. So you have your own personal experience in that regard. Because the fact is that all of us are going to go through problems. All of us are going to face pains. And we too do not have to get sidelined when that happens, just like Paul isn't. But we can lean into the things that God has revealed to us, the things that we know to be true, the places where we have seen God real so that it can provide for us when the difficulties come along. And that's what's happening here. Paul has this personal experience, and it equips him for the most challenging circumstances that are going to come along in his life. And yours can do exactly the same thing for you, and they should. It's how we are equipped. It's a first step, a first stage, a first facet of being equipped is through personal encounter. There's more. Equipping also comes through, as he goes on, humble perspective. Through humble perspective here, uh, look at Paul's experience, starting in the second half of verse 7. It says, therefore, this is going to sound familiar to most of you, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Now, a lot of people know what a thorn in the flesh is, right? It's just sort of in... It's, common vernacular in our culture. Everybody talks about a thorn in the flesh. You don't have to know the Bible. It's just something that we talk about. But few people know where it comes from or know the context out of which it grows. And we can see, we're reading that context right here. Most people think, well, it's just a lingering problem or it's, it's just something that rises up that's especially difficult for me to face. And it is those things, but it's more than that. There's a purpose that it the reason that it is present in Paul's life is because it's completing a purpose. And in Paul's case, the thing that it was doing for him is it's keeping him centered. It's keeping him humbled, to be sure. Last week we saw how effectiveness in ministry doesn't come from being perfect. It comes from being real. This is keeping Paul real. Here's a guy who's seen the glories of heaven Here's a guy who's being used dynamically by God. Here's a guy who has enormous talents, enormous gifts that he's been given. He knows. He knows himself. He knows it would be very easy to become conceited, very easy to get sort of pulled off in this direction and that, but this is keeping him centered. This is reminding him of who he is, of what he has and what he doesn't have, and where his strength comes from. It's accomplishing a purpose in his life. Now, you might also ask, you wonder, well, just what was his thorn in the flesh? Lots of speculation goes on about this. And here's the bottom line. We don't know. We don't know. It's been a lot of speculation. As I say, some people think that his thorn in the flesh was a speech impediment, that he had trouble talking, and that would be a thorn if part of what you do is preach. Others say, well, no, it was, it was a stomach issue that he had. Others say it was recurrent malaria that he suffered with. Others say he was, he was stricken with headaches. There's one commentator who's very certain and puts out a bold case that Paul's thorn in the flesh was a nagging wife. 
Personally, I wouldn't know anything about that, but uh, that's what, it, you know, what some people think. Probably the leading theory when it comes to what was his thorn in the flesh is that it had something to do with his eyesight. A couple of reasons people throw that out. One is because when Paul sort of signs off in his letters, or he refers to it at least in one case where he's, he writes in big letters when he signs his name. And some people think, well, that's because he had difficulty seeing, and so he wrote in big letters. Maybe more than that is when he writes to the church in Galatia, and he thanks them for their attitude, for their spirit. He says there that, I'm convinced that even if you could give me your eyes, you would do that. You love me that much. Again, suggesting, well, maybe there was something going on with his eyes that were a problem. And so that's probably the leading aspect of speculation relative to what, what's going on with this thorn in the flesh. What exactly was it? Well, we don't know. Bottom line is we just don't know what it is. And that's okay. We don't need to know. In fact, in some respects, it might be better that we don't know because it's, it's easier for us to sort of put ourselves in, in his situation and apply his sort of context into our own lives. All of us face problems and pains from time to time, and sometimes those problems, they just linger on and on and on. It might be a physical issue that you're dealing with, and you're dealing with it right now, and you're like, I've been doctoring about this, I've been trying to get rid of it, I've taken this, I've taken these medications, and it just won't go away, and I'm starting to think it's not going to, that this is just something I'm going to have to live with. It might be you. It might be that it's a, a mental sort of pain or anguish that you're going through where something, some stress, some situation in relationships that you have in your home or don't have that you're trying to fix, but you're just not seemingly able to get yourself there. That might be one of the things that is, you're wrestling with, and you've prayed about that, but it's not going away. Well, here's the thing. It's possible that the circumstance isn't going away because it's actually better for you to have it than not have it. It's better or you'll be in a better place living with it than actually living without it. See, God wasn't being obstinate when Paul's praying and asking him to take it away and he just leaves it. He was accomplishing something in Paul's life through its presence in his life. And we've seen some of what that is. God's not being obstinate with you either when you're dealing with difficulties and circumstances and bad relationships and whatever it might happen to be and pains and physical and health issues. He's not just being obstinate. He's not just ignoring you. He's working to try to accomplish something in that and through that in your life for your benefit, to conform you more and more to His image. Now, there's nothing wrong with you praying and asking that God might change your situation and that He might take it away. That's fine. You can pray. You can let Him know what you would desire. But while it's present, it has a purpose. While it's present, it has a purpose. It's not just that somehow it snuck in, unaware, nobody knew, caught God off guard, but there it is, and there's no purpose in it whatsoever. That is not true. If it's present, there's a purpose. We shouldn't just see the difficulties in our lives as obstacles, they're opportunities. For the period of time that they're there, there's something to learn. There's a way to grow. It's part of this whole tapestry that God is weaving in your life. And sometimes we learn best through pain. Sometimes it's the only way that God really seems to be able to get our attention. Because apart from that, we're kind of going on our merry way, pretty much ignoring God. 
It actually works to equip us. So how does that work? Great question. That's the last step of equipping that we see here. We're also equipped through, lastly, gracious provision. Coming off of Paul desiring to be free from this thorn but not finding the freedom that he's after, he goes on, he adds in verse 9, but he, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I find this to be one of the most encouraging meet-you-where-you-are passages that we find in the whole Bible. Paul here has not been relieved of his situation, of his circumstance, of his problems. He's prayed earnestly. God said no. He prayed again. God said no. He prayed again. God said no. Now, the Scriptures tell us here, we've seen it in this passage, that he prayed three times for this thorn to be taken. I don't think that means he literally prayed three times. Not two, not four, but three. I don't think it means that. I just think it means that he prayed over and over. He prayed multiple times that this would be taken away. But never did God see fit to do that. That might lead a person to despair or to depression. And if you've been there, maybe you've been tempted to move in that direction because life isn't working out the way that you dreamed. It's not working out the way that you planned. You've got this other thing that you're having to deal with day by day by day, and it stinks, and you don't like it. Paul, for his part, doesn't end up in despair. He doesn't end up in depression. In fact, it's exactly the opposite. What we're told is that he's rejoicing here in his circumstance. Look what it says. He's delighting in insults and hardships and persecutions and in difficulties. Why? How? What makes the change? The change for Paul is the moment that he realized that the path to the greatest life that God has in store for him isn't found by going around his troubles. It's found by going through his troubles. So often we spend so much time trying to avoid our issues, trying to avoid the problems, pretending they're not there, or only being concerned with how do I get rid of that, that we, we miss out on the opportunity to learn through it. There's complete opportunity to do that right here. It says that my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in your weakness. So often what we do is we spend our time pretending that we're not weak. We're trying to push out the push out the weakness or, or trying to turn it around so that what is a weakness we're actually pretending is a strength. And we end up stuck and we end up missing out on the possibilities that are there. We don't find it by going around troubles but by going through them. That's because God's grace flows into need, not into power. God's grace flows into your need, not into your power. If you're just living out of power and saying, I'm completely in control, the last thing you're doing is looking to God for any growth, for any perspective, for any help. Where we're living completely in strength of our own, we're not going to find God's strength. 
But there was one thing Paul knew would always keep him centered, and that's weakness. The greater his weakness, the greater God's strength. The exact same thing applies for us. The greater our weakness, the greater God's strength alive in us, or the way that Paul says it, when I am weak, then I am strong. When I am weak, then I am strong. Why? Because I'm acknowledging that I can't accomplish it on my own. It's when we are willing in our weakness to fall on our knees, say, God, I cannot. That is so anti-American. We're taught to say, I can. doesn't matter what it is. I can and I will. But we can't. Not if we want to experience the fullness of what God has in store. So often, a weakness comes, a challenge comes, or we find that our trial is present or our thorn is there, and we spend all of our efforts trying to get rid of it. What would it look like if we started to live in such a way that we understand and we acknowledge, Lord, while it's here, give me the grace to lean into it. Lean into you in the midst of it. It's a better way to say it. Absolutely. So, what's your weakness? What's your weakness? Where are you hurting? Or feeling empty? Or feeling, feeling lonely? Or feeling lost? Make your first prayer not, Lord, get me out of this. But, Lord, meet me in this. None of us like to get stuck there. I understand that. None of us like it when the hardship is present. We all have an inclination to be free from it. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't have an inclination to be free from it. But what I am saying is there's going to be a period of time while it's there, while it's present. And until it goes, that we ask God to make himself real to us in the midst of it. Because the more we lean into our weakness, the more that we start to appropriate and experience all of what God can bring to our circumstance. So often we're running from our situation, and so we're at the same time running from God's provision. So when we acknowledge where we are, what we have and what we don't have, that we'll be in a place where now we're crying out to God and asking Him to meet us in our need. And that's when His grace is sufficient. That's when he meets us in our weakness and turns our weakness to strength. Strength and weakness. That's what we're talking about. It's what God is offering. It's what I pray that we would all live into for our benefit and to experience the fullness of God in our lives. Heavenly Father, we are all people in need we are all people who have weakness. Thank you that you have provided a way to equip us in the midst of all of the areas where we come up short. Lord, I pray that you would humble us because if we're unwilling to be humbled, then we're only going to press into strength. We're going to pretend there are strengths where there aren't. We're going to miss all of what you want to do to fill us and complete us. Lord, for several of us, no doubt, right now, listening in, 
We're going through the fire, the test. The thorn is present. Lord, I would pray that you would just give us the grace to instead of being angry that it's there, instead of giving every effort only to eradicating it, that we would take a moment just to pray, Lord, what do you want to teach me? Lord, reveal yourself to me. I understand I'm in a situation where my eyes are going to recognize you in a way that I might not at any other time. Show yourself to me. Teach me what you have in store. Conform me more to your image. And whether the circumstance leaves or it doesn't, Lord, make yourself real and I will trust in you. Friend, whatever your situation is where you've been laid low, put your trust in God. Ask Him to work in your heart. Not just ask Him to get rid of it. Ask Him to work in you in the midst of it and you will emerge equipped. Ready for whatever comes your way. Ready to thrive. Even rejoice, as Paul does, in the midst of hardship and suffering. For when we are weak, then we are strong. Lord, do that work in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Who says the Bible is not timely, right? Who says it doesn't speak to us in our need? Paul's a mighty example, and I pray that we would take that on and, and live that out. If you'd like to pray with somebody, maybe about something that's going on, maybe about a thorn that's present and persisting in your life, or maybe it's not even persisting, maybe it's brand new, we invite you to come on down or catch me. I'd love to pray with you about that as well. Otherwise, we do thank you so much for coming. What a comfort we can take in that reminder from Scripture today. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The same power that raised Christ from the dead meets us in our times of weakness, and there's plenty of grace to cover us all. Let's let his power and grace be on display in our lives this week, no matter what may come our way. Have a great week, Pathway family, and we'll see you next Sunday.